Well, good morning. I'm surprised to see so many of you when it's so rainy and dreary outside. But guess what I see? Faces. Oh, yeah, unbelievable. Wow. So, yeah, if you're watching online, you're like, oh, what's the big deal over north? What's the big deal? But, hey, it's a big deal here in south, is it not? Yes. We were singing Set Your Church on Fire. I was like, maybe we should sing Set Your Mask on Fire. But uh, <laughs> kind of a different idea, but... It's uh, been a long road. I am uh, glad to see your faces and uh, glad that you have joined us this morning, whatever way you've joined us. So we're going to jump right into the scriptures and we're going to be looking at a number of different scriptures this morning, but we're going to start in Ephesians 1 where we have been this entire year together in what we have simply called a bless fest. Uh, the blessed fest is this idea that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, which is what Ephesians 1 verse 3 says. So if you're there in Ephesians, I want to take us back to, to the very beginning of this book. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places where... In Christ. So this whole idea that we have been chosen by God and adopted by God and redeemed by God and forgiven by God, informed of his purposes and sealed by his spirit and heirs of all eternity, that we have done that, we are that because we are in him. That's his blessing of us. But there's a lot more than that. That's just what's in these verses in Ephesians 1. But he says, because of that, we should bless God. It's a blessed fest because as God has blessed us by placing us in him, we bless him with our worship and praise, just as we did together this morning. I hope you engaged physically with your voice declaring you bless God in response to his blessing of you. But it's not only that we bless him because he's blessed us, but that we bless others. This is the fullness of the bless fest. He blesses us, we bless him, and we bless others. And that's just not a um, vague idea. Very specific ways in which as God blesses us, we bless others. Let me give you an example Two of them. First from 2 Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and, say this with me, God of all comfort. So he is the God of all comfort. Meaning what? Next verse. Who comforts us in all our affliction. Just pause there. By a show of hands, any of you ever experienced the comfort of God in a time of affliction, sorrow? All right. That's a blessing of God, right? Lots of you have. But the beauty of this is God blesses us with his comfort. Not only so that we would be comforted, watch, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with what? The comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The beauty of what God does is he does his blessing of us, so that we not only experience him, but we get the double experience of him, of experiencing him meeting our need and the privilege of being used by him to bless others with how he has blessed us. I won't say by a show of hands, but you know, have you, with the comfort which you said, I've experienced from God, have you ever turned that and then comforted others? This is why, and this may encourage you or challenge you, I'm not sure which. This is one of the reasons we can give thanks in our hardships. Because we believe two things. First, God will meet us and God will be sufficient for us in our hardship. We need never fear. He will meet us. And we can know that in him meeting us, he is preparing to use us. 
to help others in their hardship. This is why when you are struggling in some way and in need of comfort, you are often most comforted by someone who went through or is going through what you went through. See, it's not that you can't comfort somebody with the truth of God, but there's something powerful about going, I'm experiencing this through, through somebody who has experienced it. They don't just know it here. They've met God here, and now they're meeting me in the way that God has met him. Don't waste your story. Don't waste your story. This is why some will say, it feels a little cliche, but it's a good reminder. Our test often becomes our testimony. So we, we, we experience God in our test, and then it becomes the means by which God uses us to minister to others. That's first example. Second example, we love because he first loved us. He went first. And you understand, we, we wouldn't love him if he didn't first love us. So we love because he first loved us. He blesses us with his love. And so what do we do? Is the rain making you a little sleepy? <laughs> yeah, what do we do? We love who? And... Him. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever connected. First John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us with the reality of what the New Testament defines as the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Why? First John 4, 19, why? Because he first loved us. This is the great and foremost commandment, that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You ever see the blessed fest there? God has blessed you with his love. So what do you do? You love him and you love others. Why is loving others second and like it? For this reason. It's second because you can love your neighbor and not love God, but you can never love God and not love your neighbor. That's why the order matters. And it's like it in this. Loving God is loving your neighbor. It's in the right order, and it's like it. So, loving your neighbor is an extension of your love for God. Do you know that? That's what it means. That, and the second is like it. First, love God because he first loved you. But you can't say, I love God and I don't love my neighbor. I mean, you could say that. It's just, you can't. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. Uh, question, like your literal neighbors? Yes or no? Yeah, literal neighbors. Okay, now you're like, oh, oh, seriously? I, I really can't love God without my loving my literal neighbors? Really? That's exactly right. Now, sometimes we forget our literal neighbors, ironically, because when Jesus was asked, well, who's my neighbor? He made it broader than your literal neighbors. But in making it broader than your literal neighbors, was he, was he saying, oh, forget your literal neighbors? No, of course not. It includes our literal neighbors. It just doesn't stop there. But how often, church, we are the church, we're the hope of the world. How often have we left our literal neighbors to go help somebody? And not love them. It's, this is not an indictment of the Bible college I went to. But the reality in the mid-80s when I was at a Bible college in South Carolina. We were probably more known for our work among the nations than 
the city. In fact, if you went around the world because we had alumni in 140 different countries sharing the gospel, we were more known in the world than we were in the very own city. Does that lack a little integrity? See, it's not we stop with our literal neighbors, but how about we start? Because it's just pure coincidence that we live where we live. Or do we believe something about the sovereignty of God? Not only about where we live, but where other people live around us. Is it by chance that you live where you live and your neighbors are your neighbors? No, not at all. That's not by chance. So it's actually by God's design that you have the neighbors that you have right now. Yeah. Why? (laughs) So that you would love them as an overflow, as an extension of your love for him because he first loved you. See, the blessed fest that we culminated from Ephesians 1 and Palm Sunday and our blessing of God is intended to saturate my street and your street, literally. See, it's our residential neighbors. Do you have other neighbors other than your residential neighbors? You know, some of you have like work neighbors. In fact, you have more minutes with your work neighbors than your residential neighbors. Because your residential neighbors, they come home, they drive in their garage, they put the door down. You drive in your garage, you put the door down. And unless you're walking the dog, you might not ever see them. But your work neighbor, you see them a lot. Or you have recreation neighbors. Every morning when you drag yourself to the gym and you blurry-eyed climb on that cycle, then you're like, there they are again. Don't talk to them. It's too early. Or maybe you do talk to them. Or maybe you have like coffee neighbors. Because every time you go to that same shop, there's, you have some neighbors, meaning what? That God has sovereignly, not accidentally, God has sovereignly placed people within proximity to your everyday life. And the church has really perfected the art of walking by the people that God has literally placed beside us on our way to help the people that he literally placed beside somebody else. Did you catch that? And so I want to simply bring us back this morning that God loved us first in order that we would love him and in an extension of our love for him, we would love our literal neighbors, whether they're our residential neighbors, our work neighbors, or our recreation neighbors. See, the beauty of this is that the great commandment, which is what? Love God. And uh, as an extension, love your neighbor. The great commandment is the core to accomplishing the, the great commission. To make disciples. We go, Jesus said, I'm leaving. You're not. Here's what I want you to do. As you go in Jerusalem... Make disciples. As you go in Judea, make disciples. As you go in Samaria, make disciples. As I send to the ends of the earth, make disciples. But where did it start? Where did it start? Jerusalem. Where you, like, start on your street. Because God loved me, and I love him by Loving the people that he has sovereignly placed around me. I think sometimes it's easier for us to go on a short-term mission street than across a short-term mission trip than across the street. And so we do stuff that leapfrogs the very people that God has sovereignly placed in my life. So let me give us a practical starting point. Here's a practical starting point. You go onto Google Maps (laughs) or blesseveryhome.com. Now, uh, Thursday night, 
Guy said, oh, when you put that up there, I was like, hey, that's a great resource. And he checked out for the next four or five minutes registering. So don't do that. Don't be that guy, all right? You can write down blesseveryhome.com and then stay with me, all right? But here's all it'll do. It will tell you who your literal neighbors are. It'll like show you your street. So here's ours. It's not complicated. I just wanted to help you. Here's our house. And we have this neighborhood right here. 16 lots, 15 homes. And it'll tell me, here's where my neighbors are. I, I knew who they are, but it confirmed. It's actually not always 100% accurate, I can admit, because I don't know what people put some of their tax records. You know, to, I don't know why. <laughs> All I know is like, mm, that's not exactly, because I know who lives in that house. But it's like 95%. You can't love people you don't, you don't know. So you, 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 if we're going to bless them because God has blessed us, we're going to love them because God has first loved us, we've got to start with, do I even know the people that God has placed around me? So draw yourself a little map. And I simply showed you mine because... It, your map's all going to look different. Well, my street goes like this. That's fine. Or draw your office map. Or your workout map. Your recreation map. Just go, okay, who are the people that God has placed around me? Because that is, in God's intent, his mission, make disciples, begins with my neighbor's. Because what I love about this is I look across this room here in South, I know where lots of you live. And, I, and it's, it's so clear to me. I'm like, if you just went where you live and you went where you live and you went where you live and you went where you live and you, and you live and where you live, I know you all live in different parts. You would be like, I don't need to leave my street to go to your street. You're on your street. Much of Jacksonville is just represented. The streets of Jacksonville, many of them are represented just at Christian Family Chapel, and we're just one little church in this city. Do you see? We have, we've made it a little too complicated. If we just went, huh, Jesus wanted to make disciples of all peoples, and he said just love your neighbor, the people that I like literally put around you. Now, some of you are going, but how are you going to get to the ends of the earth? You know what? God always has and will continue. He's going to place his finger on some people's life and go, I want you to go to the other side of the globe to have new neighbors. That's what Tim and Andrew Ellum did. They went to the other side of the globe and they have new neighbors. But you don't know, they didn't move to the other side of the globe to then live on the other side of the globe to then take short-term trips to Africa. Guess where they're making disciples? They're literal neighbors. How about we join God's plan and just go, I'm going to engage with the people that God has placed around me. So this is a great resource. It'll, five days a week, send you five of your neighbor's names just as a reminder for you to pray for him. Now, I'll predict for you, because I've been doing this, you'll go, really, today? Lord, you know. <laughs> That'll be the, temp the temptation. There's not a mandate that you have to pray like five minutes for each one, because you don't know what to pray for him, especially if you don't even know him. But it'll give you five people to pray for, because if we are going to bless them as God has blessed us, if we're going to bless them as God has blessed us, it's not going to be complicated. Here's five practical steps. Begin with prayer. Why would we begin with prayer? Because when Jesus came to live out the mission of the Father, that's how he began. Well, probably lots of you know this, that before he began his three-year public ministry, the first thing he did, 40 days fasting and prayer. So, I mean, 
We're suggesting five names a morning, not 40 days in the wilderness. You can handle it. But you begin with prayer. It's not only how he began his ministry, it's how he regularly began his day. In the early morning, Mark chapter 1. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And as the text unfolds, we don't have time to look at the full context, but as the text unfolds, we understand. You know what he's praying about? Lord, what do you want me to do in terms of your purposes of making disciples today? What do you want me to do today? So when I say begin with prayer, you're simply saying, Lord, you place these neighbors around me. I want to pray for them. And I want to invite you to use me today in any way that you please. Any conversation, any interaction, any way of help. I'm I'm available. I want to do what you have for me today. And sometimes the answer to that prayer will be dramatically different than what you expect. It was in Mark chapter 1, but you'd have to read that to find that out. But when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, how did he start? You all all know this. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Two things here. Same thing. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth. As it's already happening in heaven. So make it a little more personal. Lord, you're holy. You're great. My prayer is today that your kingdom would come to Cyprus Landing. It's as as already in heaven. Just put your street in, your neighbor, your your work, your record. That's what I'm asking. However you want to do that, here's where you place me. My desire is that as you have loved me, that I would love others as an overflow of my love for you. Your kingdom come on earth, on my street, on my neighborhood, on my workplace, as it is in heaven. So, We begin with prayer. Sometimes, well, no, here's the reality. Who do you pray for? Seriously, just, you know, I'm not asking names, just who do you tend to pray for? Family? Why do you pray for your family? Yeah, because, well, I should pray for my family. I don't really think it does anything, but I should pray for that. No, because you love them. You care about them. You're like, oh, God has placed them into my life, and they're important to me. One of the reasons we probably don't pray for our neighbors is because uh, they're not important to me because I don't even know them. <laughs> so actually, I don't, I understand the difficulty of praying for people that, and I don't mean you're uncaring, you just don't care. See the difference? There's a difference between uncaring and not caring. It's like you hate them. I hate my neighbors. I mean, maybe you do, and that'd be another thing. Pray for your enemies. But that's another sermon. <clears throat> you're, you're probably just generally neutral, and so you're not, your heart's not moved there. Your heart's not compassionate there, so you don't know them, so you don't pray for them. So how, why would we begin with prayer? Because of this. It begins with, I begin with prayer because ultimately I want the kingdom of God to happen on earth as it is in heaven. So I start with the heart of God in praying for them. You may be thinking, you don't know my neighbors. I agree, I don't. Some of you know your neighbors and you're like, I don't talk to them for a reason. Here's the beauty since none of us are going to pray for everyone in our city, what if each of us just prayed for our literal neighbors? See, we're just making it like in the realm of doable, personal. You know, I can pray for a million people in Jacksonville. And so then we don't pray for anybody. And we miss the great commandment. I have to pray for it, but how about the people that God has literally placed around me? The wonderful thing about praying 
is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter into God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible, which is kind of funny because why is he specialized in the impossible? Because it's not for him. He's like, ooh, that's a, I mean, has God ever went, wow, that's a hard neighbor. Whew. <laughs> oh, nothing. He specializes in the impossible because nothing is too great for his almighty power. And this is big too. Nothing is too small for his love. See, sometimes it's just like, well, you know, I'm not Billy Graham. We're not like a mega church. He's got, he's got bigger fish to fry. Ever thought that? You're not prayed about something because it's just too small? Nothing too great, nothing too small. That's the beauty of prayer. So <clears throat> we start with prayer. And then as we pray, and, and this will fuel our prayers. I hope you'll capture that. This will fuel our prayers if we will learn to listen. There's a story. Your most obnoxious neighbor, there's a story behind it. Because you may be that obnoxious neighbor. (laughs) And there's a story, right? My dad. You know, or there's some, some story that we'll never know until we begin to listen. I love this from 2019 Barna study. They asked this question, not of our literal neighbors, but of unchurched folks. What do you value most in a person when discussing spiritual matters? So they asked to this people who like live on our street who are unchurched. What do you value most in a person when discussing spiritual matters? Now, because of what I just told you, you can probably guess. Number one value, what? Yeah, someone who will listen to me without judgment. I'm not listening so I can corner you. See, I'm not saying, hey, go, go debate your neighbor. I don't want to talk to you if, if at every point I feel like you're trying to trap me so you can defeat me. I want to avoid you. And if, if there's a sense that, that people have that you only want to hear from them so you can, like, get them. Why would they talk to it? It's not a trap. I want to I listen. I want to know their story. Privilege, a couple of weeks ago, a young couple spent uh, the night with us, and I knew the background of, I knew their present reality, uh, not outright atheists, but had pretty much dismissed God and the church especially. But I knew the beginning of the story, they had both grown up in homes where Christ had been lifted up and their parents took them to church. And so I said, uh, you might think because I'm a pastor that I want to like convince you why you need to turn back to God. I, I want to convince you. I, tell, I want you to tell me. I just want to listen. How'd you go from that to here? Just what happened? I'd like to know. Because I knew there was a story, I just didn't know what it was. And actually, both of their stories were dramatically different from one another. But I understood them both by the end. Now, was there times I wanted to go, hey, not rare? Because they make out, they made charges against the church, and I'd be like, hey, easy, back off. But to my, you know, what did I promise? Listen, listen. It's what friends do. Listen. So start with, I want to just listen. And listening will mean more questions from you, less answers. Most of our training, when we talk about, hey, how are we going to, you know, do the Great Commission. Give me answers. Give me answers. Give me answers. You know what we need more? Questions. More ears. That's training to talk. 
more capacity and willingness to listen. Second was, they'll allow me to draw my own conclusions. Which you go, oh, I don't know. You know, I think we need to help them reach their conclusion. You know what? <laughs> ultimately, everybody draws their own conclusions. Ultimately, you did. And you want to make sure you make it hard for somebody to draw their own conclusions? Force yours on them. Okay, back it up. Listen. Let them draw their own conclusions. That's the, that is... When it comes to spiritual things, it's not that people don't want to talk about spiritual things. It's just rarely. This is what the top thing was. But actually, I think the number was 67% of unchurched people said, I don't know anybody who is spiritual who would actually listen. And let me come to my own conclusions. So we're not the people that they are prepared to engage in spiritual matters with. And this will sound absolutely crazy. And you might think, seriously, I'm at church and the point is eat with your neighbors? Eat with them? Only because it's precisely what Jesus did. He was unmistakable on his mission. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he was here. But do you know his strategy? It was like really exotic. Eat with people. That was, he says, I'm here to seek and save the lost. He says that in Luke 19 because here's what happened. He's going into a town and a guy wanted to see him, but he was too short. Some of you know this story. So he climbed up in a tree. Smart, resourceful little guy. And Jesus comes to him and says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. For today I must stay at your house. My house? And, and other people think, his house? Yes, I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and he received him gladly. In other words, what did he do? Oh, if you want to come to my house, you're welcome to come to my house. And if he invited him in, what do you think they did? had something to eat, something to drink, right? Please, please, if you invite me to your house, don't invite me in and then go, okay. What are we, I'm thinking, something to drink, something to eat, what are we doing? And good stuff would be even better. He came down, he received him gladly. And when they saw it, they began to grumble. He has gone to the guest of a man who is a sinner. <laughs> uh-huh. Why would he do such a thing? Ah, because I've come to seek and to save the lost. It's hard to engage people, or hard to reach people I refuse to engage with. what they always grumbled about. Luke 15, the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The strategy of Jesus was so simple. You're going to meet with folks and eat with them because there's one thing I know everybody does and most people really enjoy. I mean, who in here likes to eat? There we go. Who in here is a sinner? There we go. Well, you got meals everywhere. <laughs> so Jesus said, the world is filled with people who are sinners and like to eat. If I'm going to seek and save the lost, how about I go and eat with them? It's so, so practical, so simple. It became his reputation. Here is here was the slogan they talked about towards Jesus. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
They were comparing him to John the Baptist who had avoided and not eaten anything. And they're like, he doesn't do this. And now Jesus comes along and he like eats and drinks with people and they're sinners. And he's like, yep. Why? Because I've come to seek and save the lost. Just had a meal. You know, there's something about having a meal with somebody. takes relationship to another level to eat together because it's kind of extended minutes it's why maybe sometimes you're afraid to have somebody over for a meal Ew, I don't know about a meal I kind of am okay with saying hey and we talk in the street for four minutes and then we're but like a meal how about coffee you see it's, it's about minutes. And Jesus' strategy was, I'm going to begin with prayer. I'm going to listen to people while I, I eat with them. When Jesus prayed for his disciples in the upper room, when he said, I'm going, but you're not, you're going to stay, and you're going to do what I did, here's what he prayed for them. Father, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. So this whole idea of the church that isolates from the world missed the point of what Jesus literally prayed. I'm asking you, don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. In other words, not like the world, but in the world. Engaged. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, does this include you? Did he pray for you? Watch. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Who's he talking about? <laughs> like the, the apostles in the room. Uh, but for those who believe in me through their word, and ultimately all of us, it's been through a lot of different channels, but all of us believe through their word. And Jesus prayed. Prayed what for you? Not to take you out, but to keep you in to engage the world as he engaged the world. So all we do is say, well, if we're here to do what Jesus did, then begin with prayer like he did. Listen, eat, and surf. Surf. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Serving is so powerful. Just last weekend, our high schoolers had an Impact Jacks retreat. And you know what they did? They just went around Jacksonville and, and served. One of the things they did is they went down to Mandarin High, and this might seem like trivial to you, but not at all. They went through Mandarin High's cross-country course, and they cleared the cross-country cross course from Mandarin High. And coach there texted our youth pastor. I've been here seven years. This is one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my seven years at Mandarin High. My school kid showed up and picked up sticks. Seriously? Come on, let's do something like meaningful. It was really, it was Meaningful. We don't have to overcomplicate this, folks. We pray for our neighbors because we want the will of God to happen on our street as it is in heaven. But we don't know what that is, so we're going to eat with them, and as we eat with them, listen to them, and as we listen to them, we'll probably hear ways that we can actually help in a, might, might not, not seem like astronomical way, but meaningful way to them. But you got to learn to ask a question instead of always be giving answers. Everybody hates answers to questions they're not asking. I do anyway. So, serve. I love this. The study of two strategies. A paper guy named Mark Russell wrote. He was studying 
the concept of 12 quote-unquote missional businesses in the country of Thailand. And he picked 12 of these and to see what their strategy was and what they accomplished. Six of the companies Russell researched over time were primarily focused on developing business that succeeded, hired local people, and enhanced the Thai economy. Influencing Thai people toward faith in Christ was seen as a byproduct of these businesses. Although welcome, conversion was not the main focus. Russell, the author, called these businesses blessers. The second set of six businesses had conversion as their top priority. Developing a successful business was considered a byproduct or secondary goal. And in real sense, they used business as a means to get, the, to get into the country and as a way to build initial presence and trust with ties. These latter businesses were much more concerned for the spiritual destiny of the Thai people than for their economic improvement. Russell called these six businesses the converters. Not surprisingly, the blessers, the first six businesses, did much more social good, employed more Thai people, and generated more income. Perhaps more, much more surprisingly, the blessers also converted more people. And here's what is most surprising. The blessers experienced many more people converted to Christ by a ratio of 48 to 1. 96 people gave their lives to Christ through the blessers over a several-year period. Converters saw only two people make new faith commitments to Jesus Christ over that same period. Why was there such disparity between the two? The blessers blessed so many more people, built more deeply genuine relationships, hired more people for longer term, created greater income and capital in the economy, in the economy and built deeper trust. Thai people listened when the founders and leaders of blessed companies at the right time did talk about their faith in Jesus. The Thais were genuinely interested and influenced profoundly by the blessers. On the other hand, the converters never really became a part of the Thai community. Why? Partly because their agenda overshadowed their relationships. And don't miss that sentence right there. It's not about a project. Are people projects? To some, they are. But they know it. And who in here wants to be a project? And if you and I don't want to be a project, nobody else wants to be a project. No, people aren't projects. People are people. Now, you know, that's silly. No, people are people with real needs, real desires, just like you have real needs, real desires. And when we engage in saying, I love you in the way that God has loved me, regardless of really how you respond to me, then they experience, when I love people that way, they experience God. Not projects. People who I just want to go, I'm glad God has put me in this street. I'm glad God has put you on this street. I'm glad God has put us at the same workplace. And I don't think that's an accident. I want to know you, hear you, and help you in any way that I can. Now, not everybody's going to respond the same. That's, that's not a problem. I think we're, we're sometimes concerned that, well, some people will be more interested than others. That's exactly right. That's not a problem. Sometimes you feel needs and other times you don't feel. 
Sometimes you're looking for something, other times you're not looking for something. So you're simply being God's people where God has placed you, ready to be his presence there. To bless as he has blessed you. To love as he has loved you. He listens to you. He prays for you. He invites you to eat with him. To fellowship with him in that way. He serves. That's what we do. And we story. Do you have a story? You have a story of how you found life in Christ? So yeah, yeah, do you have a story? Yeah. It's not a speech. It's your story. Does God have a story? Yeah, he has a story of how he loves people and has made a way to have a relationship with them. Nothing wrong. It's appropriate. When we listen to people and serve people, it's only natural then that we tell our stories and God's story. I think it's interesting. Remember the 2019 Barna? What do people want first? First, listening. Second, hey, don't force your conclusions. Let me draw my own conclusions. But what I love is this. The third they thing they said they want from somebody to talk about spiritual matters is this, that the person would have confidence in sharing their perspective. You wouldn't be so reluctant, so afraid. I think we're only afraid because we think we got to get them to agree with us. If you take that off the table that you need to make them agree, now there's no pressure. You ever ever wonder why some people are so free to share their perspective with you? Because they're just sharing their perspective. And can we have confidence? (laughs) You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the hope that we have is that the calling, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest part of the earth, is that where God places us or he sends us, we have the Holy Spirit guiding us and enabling us for whatever the need of the moment. So where do we begin? Prayer. Lord, You've placed your spirit in me to be your presence here. I want to do what you want me to do whenever. Thank you for enabling me. All right. So, a couple clarifiers. Bless. If you haven't noticed, it's very easy. It's memorable like carfish. You're not going to have a hard time remembering this. That's the beauty of it. Bless. Oh, I can eat it. Begin with prayer. Listen, eat, serve. Story. That's very easy. Here's the drawback. The drawback is, oh, so this is the checklist. This week I pray. Next week we listen. Three weeks from now we eat. Is this a checklist? No, don't. See, it's, it's not a checklist. that We, we have to go in this order. It, my, said, my son said to me one time, I want to share the gospel with my friend, Nack. This was in middle school. And I was like, oh, that's Clayton. I'm really happy about that. But, but, you know, I don't want you to, like, force it. It's not like he's going to say, hey, Clayton, how do I go to heaven? That was dad's counsel. Next day, Nack asked me, how do I go to heaven? I was like, seriously? Okay, I'm an idiot. Say the Lord can do that. And I said, well, Clay, I hope you said to him, well, first I need to listen with, to you and then we need to have a meal. I can't story before we do the... Uh, no, that'd be stupid. Come on. It's not a checklist. What is it? <laughs> it's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. A mindset of what? I want to love as I have been loved. And therefore... It's a lifestyle of relationships. It's a commitment to say, I'm going to live in my neighborhood as a blesser. 
and lay down this need that I have to be the converter. If, if we would, seriously, every one of us, because look at all the streets represented just this morning in here, over in North and online, streets all over Jacksonville. And if we just said, you know what? We're not going to overcomplicate this. We're just going to take it down to the great commission and the great commandment. And the one is the fulfillment of the other. And so I'm going to go and be a blesser on my street, residential neighbors, or my work, my work neighbors, my recreation, my... I'm just going to go be a blesser. Which is... Have relationship. But so often, what do we do? We're so busy doing church stuff, we can't actually... Be the church and bless. So I want to give you two tools, all right? Two, two opportunities to be able to help put this into action. And here's the way we're going to do it with our closing minutes. Uh, while we show you a video of a tool, an opportunity that you can use for the building of relationships in your community. The guys are going to pass out envelopes to you that have some tools in there that you will help you build relationships as well. So here's the only rule. No opening the envelope until we open it together. Everybody agree? I see you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> All right. Let's watch this, and then we'll look at the second tool together. A big part of Pirate Clubs, and a big word that I think describes Pirate Clubs, is life change. Um, and it happens in kids at the clubs, it happens in parents at the clubs, it happens in team members, um, also in the community of the church. The church just has a new energy after Power Clubs. I love Power Clubs, um, specifically because Power Clubs is phenomenal at transitioning people closer to God. You get to play games, you get to eat snacks, you get to hear awesome stories and skits, and it's just an incredible time. There are kids in our city who never get to experience the love of Jesus, and so we want to bring it to them. I love Power Clubs because of the gospel. It is the opportunity to be changed by the gospel and to be able to share the gospel, and the gospel might change the lives of these children. Through an overflow of the love that God pours into me, I pour into others. Not out of this obligation, but instead because of the people. We want to love those who are unloved. Power Clubs can be draining, it can be tiring, so it has taught me a lot about being active and encouraging. What, uh, what really keeps me coming back to Power Clubs year after year is that there is uh, very few ministries that I've seen grow the people in the ministry, the people serving grow almost as much as the people that were served. What keeps me coming back is just the excitement and life change that happens during this week of Power Clubs. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's really the vision of Power Clubs is exactly what Jesus told in the Great Commission, is we take the gospel to them. Power Clubs is the best use of your time during the summer. As a Christian, our greatest joy is going to be found in Christ, in serving Him, um, in bearing much fruit while doing God's work. Power Up Clubs doesn't have to be one week out of the year. It can be every week out of the year, whether in your school or your workplace, even still in your neighborhood. It's easy to let that excitement and that passion leave. Power Up Clubs is just the opportunity to enhance what's already there. So lots of you are familiar with Power Up. If you're not, it's our teenagers going to the front yards all over Jacksonville to put Jesus on display. But it's totally dependent upon host homes, adults that will say, I'll open up our front yard. 
And what greater way for you to build relationship within your own community is to simply say, hey, bring your kids to our house and bring a lawn chair and we can visit and watch them do some crazy fun stuff and they'll have a great time and you'll be able to build relationship. You don't need to have children in order to host a power-up club. You need a front yard and a garden hose. And a willingness for some of your grass to die. <laughs> Honestly. It's all right. That's, we have, we have right now, we have our, out, our teenagers outpacing our host homes. So this would be a great, this morning, a great opportunity for you to go, I, I, I'm going to I'll host a power-up club. Some of you know it and you're like, yeah, we, we can do that again. We've just been putting it off. We can do that again. We're going to burn our mask and have a, a, a host a power-up club. <laughs> and, or you may go, ah, I got some questions. Becky, be glad to speak to you. So just, you have your questions there, go to that webpage and, and let us know. And they'll be out in the courtyard, maybe in the rain, or they'll be under the portico this morning. Uh, big orange stuff, you'll see them. But this is a great opportunity. Second opportunity, take your envelope and open it up. Here are some tools for us. Some of them predictable, some might surprise you. Uh, There's a magnet in here that doesn't say bless, but it says bless, right? Let's begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, share. It's the reminder to put on your refrigerator of a new mindset to build relationships. What may surprise you is a $20 bill. If you don't have a $20 bill on you, then see Matt, he probably put it in his pocket or something. No, our staff stuff, so it should be a $20 bill on everyone. If you got 40, then our bad. Everybody get a $20 bill? Does that surprise you? Yeah, I hope so, because you're like, whoa, usually you guys ask for money, you don't give us money. Here's what we want you to, here, here's what we want you to do with this. We want you to use this to think, how can we build relationship? So hear me, we don't want you to give it back to us. We don't want you to give it to a missionary. No offense to our missionaries on this one. We don't want you to give it to me. And we don't want you to give it to a homeless person. We want you to use it to creatively build relationship where God has sovereignly placed you. Buy a pizza, buy some burgers, buy a, rent a snow cone machine, show a movie on the side of your house and pop a bunch of popcorn. Some of you, a couple of you just got like 40 bucks. You're like, wow, seriously? You gave us $40? Yes, to invest in your street, for relationships in your street. Now, it was pretty interesting. I had a conversation with some folks after Thursday night. They're like, uh, we'd just rather give it to a homeless person. I said, I know. I know you would. How long have you been in your neighborhood? 21 years. Know anybody? Nope. This is hard. We've been there. Here's all you do. This is not hard. You know, it's weird. We've lived here 21 years and we don't know anybody. So, uh, because I know them and they have liberty here, they, ha- they enjoy wine. I said, just buy some wine and some cheese and go send to 12 of your neighbors. We're going to have by our pool some wine and cheese. We'd like to meet you. Now, some of you are going, oh. Church money to buy wine. I just referenced the passage earlier, Jesus. Okay? If you're not comfortable with that, don't. So I'm not pressing that, just saying that's an idea, because I knew that. This is a invest, not in a project, in relationships because we want to we want to bless I love the fact that our elders said let's give to the congregation $20,000 to 
invest in relationships in our community. Isn't that cool? Yes. So that is what I hope you use it for. What's the final thing? Just please no books, just a sentence telling us, hey, here's, here's what we did. And send it to us. We already put a stamp on it. Send it to us and we'll be able to read them as encouragement and maybe, oh, we should do that. So we're not asking you to do something in the next seven days. Because remember, you got to pray for a month first before you do it. No, I'm just, not a checklist. But we're not asking you to do something the next seven days. It's clear? But as you, as you do something, don't tell us what your ideas were. Tell us what you did. That'd be better. Let's stand and invite the Spirit of God to send us.